You're listening to the Cairn 10 Podcast, where we bring our alumni back inside Cairn University in just 10 minutes. We're picking up where we left off with our previous guest, Greg Schaller, president of John Jay Institute, with a chance to have Greg address some of the deeper and broader questions facing Christians in today's political climate. In the last episode, Greg spoke quite a bit about the John Jay Institute, of which he is president, and uh, today we get into some more specific things. Greg, thanks for returning. Thank you, Nate. Well, as I mentioned in the last episode, you addressed uh, to some degree some of the issues facing us today and the need for principled leaders, why we need people to tackle these kinds of issues. Maybe you could start us off today by painting just a brief picture of how you see the political landscape today. What are the issues that the average American is grappling with politically, maybe if he or she is even unaware of what those issues are? Yeah. Our current climate is one I think that can be accurately described as fractured, uh, tribal, one that uh, reflects a real breakdown in communication and ability of people who disagree with each other to disagree in a civil manner. I think it's an accurate description to say that in many cases there's a real clash of worldviews, competing worldviews that are in many ways incompatible with each other. So it's not a a good picture, I I think. Now, this isn't unique in America. This isn't the first time this has happened. We've experienced things historically where people have had very strong disagreements with each other. But at least for my lifetime, this is unique. And it certainly isn't encouraging or, or positive. There's far too many people, and this is a bipartisan criticism, who refuse to accept the legitimacy really of those who are on the opposite side of the, the political spectrum. And it's something we need to, to work on. Otherwise, you know, we will remain a fractured people. And that, that's not conducive towards good governance and good government. So it's definitely something I think you know, we need to work on. Um, this past fall, I participated. I uh, helped bring some Cairn students to the University of Pennsylvania. And then we had Penn students on the campus here at Cairn. It was trying to find ways to bridge this political divide. And it's not that we were expecting persuasion. We weren't expecting, you know, someone to all of a sudden adopt the other person's point of view. But we thought it was important to emphasize that we ought to be able to be civil with each other, even when we have strong disagreements. Politics is important. I I think politics is important. I've devoted my academic and professional life to both the study of it and then the disseminating my ideas on, on politics. But it's not the most important thing, and it's something we need to to recognize first as people of faith that, you know, our our faith is far more important than our political beliefs, political attitudes, and political participation. But we need to emphasize, you know, just being a decent person, being a friendly neighbor to someone is also possible, and those are some of the real things about life. Uh, In this program that we worked with the University of Pennsylvania on, we have the students sit down and put down 10 things that are descriptive about themselves. So, for example, if I was doing this for myself, I would say I'm a Christian, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a political science professor, I'm a hiker, a tennis player, just go through those things. And everybody at the table would then present, these are the 10 things. And what we would find is that, one, most people weren't talking about their political beliefs in that, but they would have something in common. Two people play tennis at the table. So they talk about tennis for five minutes to each other. At that point, if you do introduce something that's controversial politically, the people sitting across the table recognize the decency, humanity of each other, and they have a different attitude than when we see so much yelling and screaming and hatred that is too often present right now. 
And so we, we need to try and explore more things uh, like that, of how we can look at each other, respect each other's humanity, even though we may not agree with them politically. You know, I've had, as we were talking uh, a few weeks ago, I had had a question about Christians approaching politics and for for those who consider themselves Christians, some of the maybe pitfalls that, that Christians may fall into, in your opinion, as you have observed politics over these years, and maybe some of the greatest contributions or just even how Christians ought to think about the world of politics differently. What do you, what's your take on that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I do think that we're called to be engaged in the public square. I think there's a call to be good citizens. So then we have to ask questions, what exactly does that look like? We, we also, you know, are to, I think, try and order our society in a way that's as close as possible to what the Bible speaks to. I mean, and God has ordered things for us. He's provided an order for us. And as citizens, I think we should try and shape our communities to reflect that. This isn't advocating for a theocracy in any way. But I think, you know, God's plan for us and our lives, we, there's many things we can do in civil society, in our communities that are reflective of that. To me, one of the biggest uh, problems that many Christians who engage in the public square and in politics and public policy is they, they make some assumptions um, and they're not necessarily experts in particular fields. I'll just take the area of political economy. There's been a lot of history of Christians saying, you know, looking at a verse that says we are to take care of the least of these, and I think that's absolutely correct. But then they advocate for policies that are really not very effective at taking care of the least of these. There's lots of unintended consequences. So I, I think as Christians, we, one thing, a stance we need to have is one of humility. We need to be careful. Um, yes, we need to be obedient to Christ's command to take care of the least of these, but we need to be careful in how we go about doing it. I also think that, you know, this divide, this fracture that exists in our country, um, Christians have taken a very strident stance that hasn't been consistent with showing basic Christian love and respect for the humanity of others. So I have very strong beliefs, but I think we need to be very careful in how we're communicating these beliefs. And we also just can need to have that uh, maybe a humble stance of, of recognizing we don't have all of the answers and there's a chance we might be wrong. And I think if we could encourage that among Christians, but then all people to maybe take on that stance, uh, we'd enter into better political dialogue. Speaking of the way that we approach each other and talk and dialogue, there are a lot of people who talk about politics today being particularly nasty. And one of the questions that often comes up, and several people have addressed this, but I'm, I'm curious about your take on, are we seeing something new today in politics with respect to the nastiness of it, or is that as old as politics itself? I, I think it's as old as politics. Now, there's definitely seasons, it seems, where it tends to be a little bit worse, but I always encourage my students to go back to the elections of 1800, 1824, and 1828. These were, you know, some of America's greatest statesmen, people we look to and hold in very high regard, you know, uh, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, John Quincy Adams, uh, Andrew Jackson, if you look at some of the political rhetoric there, it would make us blush today. In many ways, it was far worse than anything we saw in the 2016 campaign. The accusations that were made between Adams and Jefferson are just striking about their faith, about their profession, about their family life. 
Um, yeah. And that question of legitimacy too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Recognizing, <clears throat> even recognizing someone's yeah. being legitimate or not. So uh, now, just because it's happened, <laughs> we certainly don't want to encourage that. And I do think we need to have a more civil dialogue uh, across the board. But one, one thing that, you know, a lot of people looking at the current political climate seem, you know, suggest that it's unique and it really isn't. We, we've had this before, but nevertheless, I think our obligation is to certainly to try and improve uh, that, that political dialogue. Well, maybe we could finish with this. One, one thing that you've mentioned is the importance of knowing one's subject matter and becoming more deeply educated. And it can be challenging, I think, for people today to know what source do I go to for information, for news, if you will, without feeling like I'm going to be getting a large dose of bias on one side or the other. So maybe this is even a kind of faulty dilemma type of question, but, but what, does, what does a Christian do if he's looking or she's looking to find out more information? What sources might you send them to? Yeah. Well, I, I think assuming that you can find unbiased news is probably not a correct assumption. Hmm. Um, there may have been some times in American history when it was less biased, but the reality is an awful lot of it is quite biased. But again, that's not something that is unique. If you go back to the early American founding and post-founding, it was known as the party press era. And what that means is that wealthy members of political parties owned the newspapers and they were completely biased. I think we're in a very similar situation today. Um, everyone knows the bias of MSNBC and Fox and CNN, and they don't hide it. And that's to me is maybe not ideal, but it's where we're at. And as long as the, you know, the reader, the viewer is aware of that, and observes it through that lens, they know the bias they're getting. Having said that, I do think it's important that we try and get both sides of the story. So one web page that I strongly recommend for my students is called Real Clear Politics. And what they do is they aggregate stories and op-eds every day, and they do this in the morning and the evening. And they'll put them side by side, and a lot of times they're on the same topic. So the big scandal that's happening right now, of course, is the question of Russian collusion. So what Real Clear Politics will have this morning is an article from a conservative site followed by an article by a liberal site. And it's demanding. It's expecting a lot for us to be well-informed. So I know that's not necessarily easy, but I encourage my students to read both sides. So read the article that's in the Washington Examiner, which is a very conservative paper, and then the Washington Post, and then really have to read through them and try and decipher where exactly do we find truth in, in those articles. So it, it is demanding. Um, it, there may have been a time when it was easier to just rely on a couple of sources, but this is, you know, really to get a, a good balance of news, you have to have that sort of an approach right now. I'm sure like most things worth doing, it's challenging, Yep, but worthwhile. Good advice. Thanks, Greg, for joining us. And we want to encourage any of you listening in your pursuit of a deep and biblical understanding of the political world in which we are living. So to assist you in that, we're going to provide two listeners with a free copy of a book that Greg recommends that you read, Niebuhr's Christ and Culture. To win, just send an email to alumni at cairn.edu requesting the book. And if you're one of the first two we receive, we will send it out to you at no cost. Thanks for listening.